0: I'll lead off with a question for, for Dr. Schreiner, and then afterwards we can then take uh, select um, questions. Um, Dr. Schreiner, what would be your encourage, encouragement or advice for those who are studying in, to be in the ministry 2015 in light of what's going on with culture and um, just a barrage of attacks now on many fronts? So what would your advice be to students that are studying to go and serve in churches in that environment,
1: in, in in some ways, I think one of the beauties of the Christian ministry is that our our task doesn't change. I mean, you're called you're called to be a student of the Scripture, to faithfully teach it, to, to faithfully to faithfully live it out. So, I, I think there are new and bracing challenges today. But I really don't think you have a different calling than I did 30 years ago when I started in the ministry. Fundamentally what you're, what you're called to be and to do. It takes wisdom, doesn't it? Discernment to apply the gospel to each situation. And, and I suppose we pray for such wisdom and discernment. But your calling to be faithful, that doesn't change. Who knows what will happen? Will, we, will our nation, in some ways, experience a revival? I'm, I'm not a prophet. Will, will things con- continue to decline? I think of the book of Hebrews, perhaps. I'm, I'm not a prophet, but perhaps some of you will suffer in remarkable ways. Uh, we, don't, we don't know that. But, but if you're being faithful now, step by step, day by day, y- you, by God's grace, will be ready and he'll he'll strengthen you for whatever whatever comes your way. N- not that it'll be easy. We're 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 in exile. We're sojourners, right? But he'll he'll strengthen you for the task. That's good. I appreciate that. Are there any
0: questions about what he covered in the lectures or what kind of tie he's
1: wearing? This is from my son's third son's wedding. There it is. Celebratory. Yeah. Well. <clears throat>
0: Yesterday, last night, you were talking about um, us being sanctified by Jesus and this having a full, like 100% complete sanctification. I understand that right? So could you just talk more about what that looks like, especially in light of progressive sanctification?
1: Yeah. Well, I I would say that that fits with the already not yet eschatology of Hebrews. In, In one sense... For by one offering, he, he has perfected forever those who are uh, sanctified. Which I t- define as what John Murray would say is definitive sanctification, positional sanctification. So that's, that's true of not super-Christians, but all Christians. All Christians are holy before God. But the other is also true, isn't it? Hebrews 12:14. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So that's, that's, the, that's the imperative. If, the, if you say 10.14 is the indicative, we're, we're holy, we're sanctified before God, holy and entirely. And yet, and yet, in the eschatological tension of the New Testament, it's also true that without holiness, which in Hebrews, without perseverance, finally we won't see the Lord, we won't experience eternal life. So uh, that's that's very typical of what we find elsewhere in the New Testament. We're, we we are saved, right? But we will be saved on the final day. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Yes, Jay. Dr. Schreiner, uh, who wrote Hebrews? <laughs> this is on the record, by the way.
1: Uh, mm. You know, I'm open. to guy Waters, having written it, how old is he? So, <laughs> guys' works are very good, and he's very intelligent. Whoever wrote Hebrews is very intelligent, and is he's a little bit poetic, right? So, um, <clears throat> so you know, it's it's interesting. You have somebody like David Allen. I don't know if you know that name. Who's written a commentary on Hebrews? David has argued, and I read his dissertation that Luke. Wrote Hebrews. That's somewhat popular. You have, uh, you know, I th- was it Tertullian that said Barnabas wrote Hebrews? You have um, David Allen Black. Do you know that name? David Allen Black, who's at Southeastern Seminary, argues Paul wrote Hebrews, but I-, I don't agree that it's Paul. I think two three indicates it's a second generation Christian who who wrote the letter and. I I think Paul would have signed the letter and I don't think it's in the early tradition. I'm not convinced by David Allen, not David Allen Black, David Allen that Luke wrote it. I think it's some of his arguments I think are rather speculative. So I think Luther's guess that Apollos wrote it is brilliant. That's a brilliant guess. It fits in so many ways. But no early writer thought Apollos wrote it. So at the end of the day, you probably knew what I was gonna say. But um, I agree with Origin that God only knows. You know, I, I don't have a strong opinion about that and, and I don't think it's I don't think we're intended to know. So yeah. Yes, John. Blessings and warnings, and especially like as Paul uses in Galatians with the law of Christ. Okay. <clears throat> well, I'll just I'll just say something. I I understand th- this would be a long discussion, but I understand the 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 substance of the Decalogue to be in the law of Christ. Okay. In Galatians six two First Corinthians one, I mean nine twenty one twenty. So the, the 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 moral norms that are imperative upon believers are are in the law of Christ. I I think the law of Christ is fundamentally represents more than the Decalogue because I think the law of Christ is exemplified by Jesus Christ himself. He's the paradigm of the law of Christ in, in giving himself for the life of others, for giving himself for our salvation, which I, I think you could argue that that's in the decalogue, but at least it's not elaborated in such a way concretely. So, so yeah, I think the law of Christ includes the, the substance of the decalogue, but it transcends that. So, so I mean, we we could go to Galatians itself. I mean, Galatians argues, doesn't it, very clearly that uh, we're we're saved by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. We're not we're not saved we're not justified by works, but by but by what Jesus Christ has done in absorbing the curse for us, uh, taking upon himself the wrath of God. I take it. At the same time, at the same time, Paul can say very strongly in Galatians, if you accept circumcision, Christ will not profit you. So, if, if you if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you'll reap eternal life. So, I think that includes the law of Christ, the moral norms of the law. What does it mean to sow to the flesh? Well, at least part of what it means would be to, to uh, contravene the moral norms of, of the law. So, so, clearly, you know, when we have such a conversation, we, all, we have to immediately begin to say, what is Paul saying there? Clearly, he's not talking about perfection, is he? I mean, we all fall short. I'd love to, I'd love to quote James 3, too, when we're thinking canonically. You know, because James, who says we're justified by works, says we all stumble in many ways. So and I and I think Paul holds the same view but so sowing to the flesh must be a characteristic of someone who is who is not following Christ sowing to the spirit is a characteristic it's not perfection so those who sow to the flesh those who regularly contravene the moral norms or characteristically maybe that's better than regularly they will experience corruption I mean, that, that's the warning. But what does Paul say in Galatians, since I'm in Galatians right now? What, it isn't a call to self-effort. That's what people worry about. But he says, doesn't he, um, walk by the Spirit. 5.16, 5.18, be led by the Spirit. 5.22, it's the fruit of the Spirit. 5.25, march and step with the Spirit. 6.8, sow to the Spirit. So it's, it's in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Spirit that, that strengthens us to live in a way that pleases God. It's not our own work at the end of the day. That's good. Thanks.
0: I'm going to, can I hijack the the conversation? Why do you think, Miles is going to love this, why do you think studying Greek and Hebrew is so important for pastoral ministry? Because, you know, our students are in the throes of their exegesis papers or translating or parsing or discourse analysis. By the way, Dr. Schreiner's big in the discourse analysis, warms my heart.
1: Those who don't do it aren't saved. <laughs> I, I wouldn't even say that. <laughs>
0: Why is it so important to be deep in the text at a very base level yeah. for pastoral ministry?
1: Yeah well i 'm going, I'm, I'm going to say a couple of things I, I agree with Luther when Luther said, "If you lose the languages, you lose the gospel. I think that 's true and, and i 'm I'm thinking more on, on a larger scale it 's no surprise is that the liberal seminaries they don 't care about the languages much anymore. I mean why would they <laughs> so where 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 is there a flowering of interest in in the languages. It's where people love the scriptures. Yeah, you you know the history of Southern. Southern was drifting. There has been a remarkable revival of interest in the languages. I'm in my Hebrews exegesis course. It's too many students, but in my Hebrews exegesis course in the fall I had 70 plus students. I mean, that's too many in a course. I know, Uh, but that's encouraging. That is encouraging. So many students want to do intensive exegesis. Do I, Would I say that a, a pastor who doesn't know the languages would therefore not be a good pastor? I don't say that. I don't say that. I think there are some excellent pastors out there who don't know the languages. I think that happens. And, uh, and, and there are gifted people who preach and teach who don't know the languages well. However, however... To be able to study the original text and to know what's there. You know it yourself. You now have the tools to arbitrate the interpretations you're reading in com- commentaries. Uh, you, you, and the other thing is, as you study more, you realize, people used to say to me, well, you know, I mean, I, I only really need the languages for the contested texts in Scripture, but everything's contested.
0: <laughs>
1: the more you read every verse, you know, you think, well, the justification texts aren't contested. Yes, they are. <laughs> everything's debated. So to, to know the original text for yourself, I mean, there's just nothing quite like it so that you can be able to decipher what's going on. And, and then I think there's just something about the process. I'm speaking experientially here, but students tell me this too. Just slowing down. Just slowing down and working through a text, we're, I, I'm as guilty as anyone, we're all in a rush in our culture. We're, 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 we're reading tweets and texting and, we, you know, we have the, you know, attention spans of squirrels. Um, so, but go, working through a text in the languages, that makes us stop and think and meditate and reflect. And could that happen in English? It, I suppose it could. I don't think it does happen very often. I think, it, I think it makes a slow down. And you're slowing down and reading the original text. Here's another thing I want to say. I don't teach Hebrew. I, don't, I wouldn't want Miles to test me right now on Hebrew. But, but I, do, I want to say this. In about 1997, I forget the date, I said to myself, you know what? My Hebrew is kind of slipping away a little bit. So I, I don't want that to happen. So I started spending. I said I'm gonna I'm gonna read my Hebrew five minutes every day. That doesn't sound like a big commitment, but that's a big commitment. You know, f- and this is what I always say to my students: five minutes a day, after you go out at least five minutes, five days a week. That that is a huge commitment. And here's here's my testimony because I don't teach Hebrew, right? I've been doing this now for almost 20 years. Now I read at least 20 verses a day in Hebrew. Why? Uh, in, in five to 10 minutes. Because I've been reading it five minutes every day, and and I got better. My vocabulary got better. Now, as I said, would I want to take a test? I don't know how I do on Miles' test, but I know I know Hebrew well. I don't know it as well as I know Greek, and I know it. And I know it just by working at it. And I'm just like you when it comes to Hebrew, right? That's not my job. It's it's just what I'm doing is I'm reading the Bible in the morning. So
0: can you do Hebrew? Can you do Hebrew?
1: <laughs> but can you do Hebrew and CrossFit at the same time? <laughs> Five minutes a day. Yeah. I, I think I'm. Miles is 89th in the world in CrossFit, and I think I'm 91st. (laughs) It's your
0: injury. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Any other questions? Yeah, Derek.
1: No, uh, I mean, yes, great question, great question. No, I would argue, actually, some texts are prospective, some are retrospective. We, we have to attend to the function of the text. What is that text trying to do? Each text contributes to our overall theology. So we, we're called upon to attend closely to particular texts. I would argue Hebrews. Hebrews is intended to warn us with a conditional statement. And, and Galatians 5 two, If you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no profit to you. That's a warning. And, and there are many, many such warnings. Jesus says, if you deny me, I'll deny you. He isn't saying you have denied me. He doesn't say true Christians will deny him. But if you finally and fully deny Jesus, because Peter denied Jesus, Right? So I take it it means, if you finally and fully deny Jesus, he'll deny you. But, yes, there are other kinds of texts in Scripture. There are retrospective texts, texts that look back. And I take 1 John to be such. Because he he isn't warning them. What does he say in 1 John 2.19? They went out from us. So that's past, Right. But they were not of us. For if they were of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be plain that they all are not of us. So that's a retrospective text. And I agree. Those who go out were never of us. Matthew 7, what is it, 23, Jesus says about the workers of lawlessness, depart from me. I never knew you. He doesn't say, I knew you once but now i don't i never knew you so that's very significant to me second peter 2 yes i understand second peter 2 to be uh retrospective phenomenologically so i do apply that in some texts phenomenologically and it is possible you know it's possible my reading of hebrews is wrong i just acknowledge that right up the front right up front i i really respect the other interpretations except for I don't. I, I really have a hard time respecting, in terms of an interpretation, the free grace view. Honestly, but the other interpretations I have very high regard for. Um, but anyway, the second Peter text where it says they they, they knew they knew uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and they departed from that, and and ultimately they're, they're dogs and pigs. That's how I'm interpreting it. They're alt- they they returned to what they really were. But again, that's a retrospective text. Which you know, I mean, you're this is a reformed place. that's been really helpful for me on Second Peter two: one. They deny the Lord who bought them. I understand that in light of the end of chapter two to be phenomenological language. I don't agree with Owen, although Owen lists my interpretation as a another possibility. I don't agree with Owen that that buying is non-soteriological. I think it is soteriological. I think to argue that Agarazzo isn't soteriological is. Somewhat artificial, but just as they appeared to know him, they appeared to be bought phenomenologically. But it became clear that they were dogs and pigs. Why, do, why does Peter use such phenomenological language? Because uh, because the, his community of believers they've they've been they've been rocked by these people leaving. I mean that's that's First John too, isn't it? You have. People you trusted, who are part of the community, you thought they were believers, and now they're gone. Well, t- they gave every appearance appearance of being a believer. So, long answer, too long of answer to your question. I think there are retrospective texts and there are prospective texts, and it depends. I would say on what kind of text it is. I, I believe they're both. Yeah, David. Yeah. Well, what I, I mean, my, my answer in some ways is yes and no, uh, or no and yes. Okay, next question. <laughs> uh, was that helpful? So. Let's talk about CrossFit. <laughs> um, well, what I'm arguing, though, what I argued in my lecture <clears throat> is that the, the way the readers are described in six four through six is they're described as Christians. You know, if you look at Owen, if you look at Calvin, if you look at Roger Nicole, my my heroes in so many ways, uh, Grudem, uh, who's written on this passage, right? Um, they 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 all say, look, they're not described as they're almost Christians. So they they they've been enlightened, but they haven't they haven't really fully seen the light the way a Christian has. So uh, they've had experiences with the Holy Spirit, maybe with the spiritual gifts, but they're really the Holy Spirit hasn't indwelt them. So what I was trying to say in the lecture is that th- that reading of, of, of those described in six four through 6 isn't right. That they're described as believers. They've, they're, they're sharers of the Holy Spirit. So the warning, so, so here's what I want to ask, and this is why this is important to me pastorally. In other words, if those described in six four through 6 are almost Christians, and you're a Christian, one way to take the warnings would be to say, that's not my mail. That's not my mail. He's talking about almost Christians there. But I'm not an almost Christian. I am a Christian. I haven't just had the experiences of the Spirit. I've got the Spirit. But what I'm saying is... The function of the warning in, in the text, the function of the warning is to warn Christians, true Christians, don't fall away. True Christians, if you, as, as Jesus said, my view of the warning passages can be summed up with the words of Jesus. If you deny me, I'll deny you. Jesus says that to Christians. Secondly, so secondly, were there some in the community, though, were there some in the community who, who weren't disc- truly believers? And my answer is, almost certainly. But that's not what the author is doing in those verses. That's the distinction I'm making. So that, I think that's a really important distinction. I, I'm just asking the question, what's the literary function of 6, 4 through 6? And and actually, I think it's... the. Typically reformed, I think you can hear that I'm reformed, but I think the typically reformed understanding of that passage is is not attending to that literary function. That's where I differ. Yeah.
0: Thanks, Tom. A lot of it does boil down to a genre issue, what type of, what type of material this is. Um, I'm going to ask the final question, if you don't mind. Uh, how does the book of Hebrews change our lives? It's very practically, very, you know concretely daily life
1: I mean I could say so many things but I think what I want to end with is he, uh, because it's something I didn't talk about very much Hebrews, Hebrews calls us to faith Hebrews calls us to trust God I mean chapter 11 and of course there's a trust in Jesus atoning sacrifice in the past but what's very striking in chapter 11 is we're, we're called upon to trust God for the future and especially in, and it sort of relates to the first question especially in situations where we suffer so you look at you look at you look at Abraham Isaac and Jacob they never they never received the inheritance right you look at Moses he gave up he gave up a good life to join with the with the people of God and of course the final exemplar is Jesus himself so so Hebrews Hebrews assures us we will we will uh reach the heavenly city We're, we will get there but on the road on the road it it can be tough it can be uh painful it, our faith will be, will be tested and and i'm sure your faith has been tested and it will be tested and we may go through you may go through agonizing things but that, don't be surprised that's that's the way it's always been with the people of God. But Hebrews promises, you'll get there. Keep keep trusting God. He's 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 completely cleansed your sins. He will He will preserve you to the end. So hang hang on, hang on to receive that final reward.
0: Thanks, Dr. Truner. Let's have everybody let him know how much we appreciate him.